Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast, presented by Coastal Community Credit Union. Who's helping you take care of your financial health? Coastal Community Credit Union is here to help you reach your goals and do great things. Visit cccu.ca for more information. This episode's special guest is from the Great Little Box Company. He is the president of the Label and Packaging Specialist, which represents clients of all sizes and sectors across British Columbia and beyond. Our conversation covers consumer trends, the company's value-add services for sales and marketing support, his leadership approach, and much more. Our conversation starts now. Hi, I'm Brad Tyndall, and I'm the president of The Great Little Box Company, and we are a local BC manufacturer of custom packaging products in corrugate, folding cartons, uh, labels, protective packaging, and any shipping supplies uh, that our customers may need. Awesome, Brad. Well, I really appreciate you making some time uh, today. I've been looking forward to this interview for a while now. Off the top, one of the things I want to ask you about uh, with your businesses is you're kind of reflecting over the last year or even the past couple of years. I'm wondering if there's any surprises that have stuck out to you. Just there's been so many external challenges and changes happening. Um, but yeah, does anything kind of stick out there? Yeah, for sure. It, it's been, the last couple of years have been different for everybody. So I'm, I'm sure uh, some shared um, surprises uh, along other businesses. But for us, I think right away, if we go back to the start of COVID, it was really nobody, nobody on our team could have predicted the impact or the varying impact on our customer base uh, going into a, a global pandemic. So, I mean, at the start, you know, we were literally tracking customer by customer, what impact, um, what they were being, how they were being impacted by COVID. Were they being shut down? Were there restrictions that they couldn't operate? Was their supply chain being disrupted? And at the start, we had close to 300 customers that were either severely or completely affected by uh, the immediate shutdown and lockdown procedures of, of COVID. And that was that was a really scary time because we didn't know what the next six month uh, six month window would would bring. We just didn't know which industries we didn't know what which industries would pop back up, which ones would flourish because their their uh, supply chain has changed, and which ones would would struggle. So it was really unknown uh, period of time for the first couple of months. But what did really surprise me was how quickly almost all of those customers and industries and, and markets either bounced back to where they were or found a new avenue, a new idea, a new concept, a new something that they could bring to market to keep to keep the doors open and keep their employees working. And, you know, we played a very small part in, in some of those as people needed different packaging mediums or different access to different products. Um, but it was really encouraging to see how kind of entrepreneurial and robust our customer base was across a wide variety of, of industries. And as you look back over the past year, have you experienced sales growth? Um, and if so, uh, is there anything particular where it came from, whether it's a new vertical, a region, if you added a value-added service, something like that? Yeah, for sure. We, we certainly were on the lucky side after those first few months. Packaging became a very hot commodity in a lot of industries. And I think the, the best way I can describe it is when you have a supply chain that's set up to take from manufacturers to brick and mortar or wholesale distribution, you need one set of packaging and supply chain and distribution channels. But when you 
shut those down. And now you need to go from a manufacturer direct to consumer. You need a very different supply chain and a very different packaging suite. And so we had to work with a lot of customers kind of changing how they package and, and move their product. Uh, and it put a big, a big strain on the entire industry. We have never seen uh, allocations of raw materials like we have over the last two years where we simply can't get product. Uh, the lead times um, extended out very uh, quickly out to three or four times what we're normally used to serving our customers with. Um, so yeah, we, we have been fortunate in that part. I think in general, one of the biggest markets uh, that grew for us was our food and beverage customers. Uh, just changing consumer behaviors again, less restaurants, less socializing, meaning more packaged food uh, going into people's houses. So we saw a lot of strength in the food and beverage industries, which helped pick up some of the slack on some other industries that weren't quite as strong. But no, it, it has been it has been a challenge keeping up and satisfying some of our customers with the growth that they've that they've uh, seen. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It, it was something that, that came to mind as you're you're asking that when you look at something. So, say you're building out for food and beverage, like a an alcohol producer, right? They've got a glass container and they're holding it in those cardboard containers. Can you source those materials from BC at all? Because we have because of our forestry sector, or is that still so constrained because of the global pressures? The vast majority of our products are paper based, but we are not able to support uh, to supply any of that locally here from BC. The paper mills and just that industry has, has changed a lot over the last number of years. So most of our paper comes from um, the US. And now uh, we we were able to maintain and supply our customers with the products that we we're already in, but getting access to new volumes or new grades of paper was was a real challenge because everybody was just pretty much full from a paper mill standpoint right away uh, after that first sort of lull and lockdown. Uh, so we had to scramble a little bit and maybe we weren't always able to supply our customers with exactly what they had in the past, but just keeping their production lines running was priority number one, not necessarily, you know, sticking to exactly what they had in the past. We had to work with them to be a little bit more flexible uh, to keep them busy and keep their lines open. People don't consider it, but, you know, in, in the supply chain, packaging can really, it's the last piece, right? And if you've spent all this time and energy and effort creating the product that you sell and you can't get it to market, it, it doesn't matter. So packaging, if it's not there, can cause a lot of pain for our customers. One of the things that did stick out as I was kind of preparing for this, I saw you've got this ID on packaging reference on the site going through the history. It was an acquisition. I'm just wondering if you can differentiate the two um, and why you've kind of kept the, the brands separate. Yeah, good question. So Ideon Packaging was um, another local uh, Richmond-based manufacturer of corrugate and folding carton products. And we have been competing with them in the market as respectful competitors for 20 uh, years now. And so it was time for their ownership group to move on and, and some of the key owners having an exit. Uh, so the opportunity came up um, and we kind of jumped at it to, to join forces now. The reason we were so excited about it is from a product standpoint, there really isn't a lot of differentiation. They, they really were, our two companies were very uh, similar. And from a cultural standpoint, we saw a lot uh, within the IDEON group that we liked as well. So uh, we each created our little niches in the market to compete with each other. 
but it really was taking kind of, we, we created this, the tagline of better together when we brought the two companies together. And, and the whole intent of that was to take the best of what Great Little Box had to offer and take the best of what Ideon had to offer and turn that into our new go-to-market strategy. And we both focused on customer service and, and that's very important to us. So it was interesting that we, we closed that acquisition with Ideon at the start of COVID in, in May of 2020. So it, it had its own set of challenges just in terms of even uh, physically connecting with the people that you're, you're bringing on now and, and changing the mindset from competitor to, uh, to partner. It, um, but it's been a lot of fun and it's been a very successful relationship so far. We're, we're very happy with it. Looking ahead at the next uh, three to six months, is there anything that sticks out that you want to highlight? Yeah, I mean, I, I think our message coming into 2022 with our team was a little bit less about taking on new and a little bit more about kind of getting back in control a little bit. It, it just feels like, um, like I'm sure many companies have, and we've been kind of just holding on to the reins for the last two years and having to be very reactive and responsive as opposed to being as purposeful and proactive as we may want to be in our business. And unfortunately, sometimes that impact um, reaches our customers and, and they're not getting the same service and the same response that they, they would have from us a couple of years ago. And that's very important to us that we get back kind of in control of our business um, and, and not having to be so reactive, but where we can deliver the level of service to our customers that, that we care about and that we want and that they expect from us. So it's a little bit more of kind of slow down a little bit. Let's absorb everything that's happened over the last two years, get back in control, reset, and then kind of put a new plan in place for kind of 24, 36 months out. But right now, I'm happy just to kind of get back and reach those service levels and hit the KPIs that, that, we, that we take pride in. I want to jump into a little bit of uh, the consumer trend side of things. Uh, and you did touch on the growth of the food and beverage sector as well. But um, in framing this kind of like the direct to consumer explosion that has happened, this buy local, these buy local trends. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm wondering how kind of the great little box company fits into that. Yeah, you bet. So one of the things that we try to set ourselves up apart in the market is that we deal with customers large and small. We deal with brand new startups that are maybe making their first packaging uh, purchase and, and don't know anything about what to expect to dealing with very large companies that have many resources internally. And, and we, we aren't able to add as much value to those groups sometimes because they have a lot of the internal resources. So I think what we pride ourselves on is, is kind of being the packaging expert for whatever customer needs are there. And sometimes that's being an extension of their team, working closely with the owners on brand design elements and packaging uh, creation. And others, it's just making sure that we're on time delivering quality products uh, and just receiving all those inputs from, from our customers. So I think as you know, companies had to change to meet that changing consumer demand, we felt we were pulled in a lot of different ways and we were able to add value to customers depending on where they were in that spectrum um, and helping them kind of figure out what they need to do and taking advice and, and experience that we have with our larger customers and showing some of our smaller accounts, here's, here's what we've seen successful in the market and collaborating really closely with them as part of their, their business team rather than just, just a vendor. So I think we have a lot to offer there whether it's our creative and structural design teams, 
or our, our sales specialist that can really get in there and provide different alternatives to customers that they may not be aware of. We take a lot of pride in that. We have a pretty broad range of products, so we don't have to provide the, this one single solution. We can really provide what we feel is the best solution for customers in, in that time of need. So we just really want to be able to build that longer-term relationship and provide some advice and experience when needed, and also just be here to be a solid, reliable vendor if that's what a, what a larger customer may need from us. Is there a, a customer success story uh, that sticks out that you'd like to, to highlight? Something maybe over the last year or so? Yeah, I mean, again, I think it goes back to maybe not a, a specific customer, but we certainly saw um, customers turn very quickly and go from one product line that is completely being shut out because that market is closed right now to something completely different. And just seeing how how creative and quick um, in times of need, you know, the the R&D process and the turnaround time, it was just amazing to see some of these uh, entre- the entrepreneurial spirit come out in our, in our customers and what they were able to do in such a short period of time in, in, a, in a world that has all these new constraints on you was just really, really cool. And again, if we were able to play a small part by helping them out and finding a new uh, product or, or mode of distribution for their product, that was, that was fun to be a part of. I don't know. That is fantastic. Um, and I think in this next question, you've kind of answered it fairly thoroughly just in terms of the role that you play uh, in there. Is there anything you want to add about the sales and marketing side? Um, or is it just everything's kind of fluid depending on, on customer needs there? No, I think, you know, yeah, we, we definitely want to be able to grow and mature with our customers. And so a neat initiative we did last year, uh, our marketing team kind of spearheaded this was to create sort of an evolution of a product uh, branding packaging life cycle with our own kind of your brand concept. So we can show customers, you know, maybe at an entry level, here's the right type of packaging product for you and the right price point and making it economical. But as it grows, um, showing them what the future could look like and some really neat higher end packaging. If they move into a bit more of a retail space, then here's some options. If they're going direct to consumer, here's some options. So I think we just really want to make sure that we're um, creating uh, opening up our customers' eyes because they don't live and breathe packaging. That's, that's our job. So showing them that they are able to grow with us and maybe start small. And then we have other options and different capabilities down the road as the volumes increase and their product uh, becomes more and more successful. And that's a fun part too. Um, and then a quick question as well on the sustainability side. Obviously, you're, you're producing products that are, I'm guessing are largely recyclable. How does that play into your business operations? Yeah, so most of our products are, are paper-based, recycled, uh, or recyclable. And in, in a lot of our uh, product lines, we have options for 100% recycled uh, raw materials as well. So I, I think that's a pretty uh, safe space from a sustainability part. We are certified in some different certifications that ensure our raw materials are sourced properly. But then there's a fun part on the design side is working with customers to put more pa- uh, paper packaging in and replacing uh, plastic uh, components where possible and making sure that we're designing sort of the right package. Nobody wants, you know, the box three times the size delivering or showing up at their door for, a, for the product in there. So we can really work with customers on um, a range of sustainability options in, in the design side and the raw material selection side uh, and replacing other substrates if they're, if they're open to that. Awesome. That is phenomenal. Getting towards the tail end here, I want to ask you a little bit about your personal background. I'm wondering if you can walk me through the steps uh, that have led you to your current role uh, at uh, 
GLBC. I don't know if you use that acronym. We do it on, on our side. We do. So <laughs> yeah, no, we definitely do. Um, yeah, sure. So my personal career path, it, you know, I was more focused on the finance side. So I am a, a CPA and, and kind of that was my entrance into to business and, you know, maybe naively going through school, I thought, you know, at some point in business, everything comes across the finance guy's desk, whether they're maybe not necessarily active in it, but they they get to see uh, stuff on the customer side. They get to see stuff on the op side. And I thought that would be just a good entrance for me to kind of figure something out. So that's what I did. Um, and had a few different uh, roles uh, in leading different finance teams before uh, joining the Great Little Box company back in 2010. Uh, and I've been there ever since. And uh, it's, been, it's been great. And when you came on, did you have an objective to be in the leadership role you're at now, or is it something that just kind of, that you kind of, I don't want to say stumbled into, but it just evolved. No, I think, I mean, it is, it is a family business and um, my wife and I, it's my wife's family uh, that started it. So there was always a little bit of a a potential for succession planning there, but it wasn't, you know, set in stone. Um, And I think we kind of came in with just eyes wide open and wanted to see where it went, but uh, it didn't take too long for us to really uh, appreciate the opportunity that was in front of us and, and take advantage of it. And, and we're, we're happy here now for sure. As you're kind of looking back on your life, I'm wondering, was there ever a moment or something that influenced you to get into business? It could be if you came from a family business background yourself growing up, or you had a positive interaction with somebody that just kind of changed your outlook on, on a corporate lifestyle, but I'm wondering if anything sticks out there. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there was an aha moment. Um, I did not grow up in a family business uh, environment. So that was definitely new to me. I think, you know, none of the sort of stereotypical careers that you think of when you're a young uh, elementary school student, a firefighter, policeman, teacher, those didn't really, none of those ever really uh, stood out for me. The finance part was always a strong suit for me in school. And I think that was just kind of, well, it makes sense. It's logical. Let's let's go into that and the finance and accounting role and, and see where it goes. But it was a pretty, yeah, there was no kind of set plan for myself. I didn't really know where it was going to end up, but just wanted to find something that I enjoyed and, and see where it would go. Is there anything that sticks out in your career that you're proud of? And it could be any, I mean, literally anything, but you know, making it. <laughs> through COVID or, you know, whatever it is, right? Anything that, that's a high point for you? Uh, well, in a role prior to Great Little Box, you know, we, it was a, a company that was struggling significantly and new management coming in and I was a young finance leader and just being part of a turnaround there and watching the, the transformation that happened over a 12 to 18 month period where when everybody was really focused on on really saving, saving the business and, and changing the path that it was on, that was I learned a lot there and appreciate sort of the leadership that it took from uh, the new management coming in uh, to navigate those waters. And um, I think that was one where I look back and I'm pretty proud of what our group was able to do in, in a pretty short period of time. And, and there's definitely some life lessons there that will stick with me for a while. Do you want to share one of those life lessons? <laughs> Is while we're here, <laughs> <laughs> I think you know I, I certainly learned it there, and and it's definitely reinforced in the approach at Great Little Box. But the the value of clear communication, um, and in the absence of that, what people will fill the void with. So it's better to to be uh, an open, clear, uh, honest communicator 
Um, I think people rally behind that, appreciate it, and I think it can can earn you a lot of goodwill in, in relationships. Okay, that is fan- fantastic. Um, and the last kind of business question I've got for you here, how has your approach to leadership evolved when you look at, at those early beginnings in corporate finance to where you're at now? Is there anything that kind of sticks out and and how you've changed? Yeah, I think the, the biggest one for me is not that I was no, I, I always enjoyed being on teams, but I was also a bit of a, you know, probably an introvert more than not. And kind of really understanding the value in leveraging the skill sets of all the, the team members. I think that's, that's a big one. And you can't do it all yourself. And I wouldn't expect somebody else to do it all on, on their own. So really asking for help, you know, and not being afraid to ask for help from the right people. Uh, that's definitely something that I've had to grow and, and, and learn as I, as I went along for sure. Okay. That's fantastic. Jumping to the end here, we've got four questions um, that we ask each interviewee. Uh, there is no pressure uh, to have any kind of uh, special answer on this, but just if something comes to mind, do let me know. Uh, is there kind of a favorite book? Could be personal fiction, nonfiction uh, that sticks out. You know, my, my kids joke with me that they read more books than I do. And that's not untrue. <laughs> I, get, I, I find myself, I really like the quick synopsis. I get to sit down and have the patience to go through um, full, complete books I struggle with. So, you know, anything on Audible, the quick hits on the way to work, I, I, I soak that stuff up. Um, but I have to admit, I'm not, I'm not the first one to sit down on the couch with a, with a brand new book and, and get carried away for too long. No, that's all good. Um, best personal advice. And we, you kind of touched on this at the beginning. doesn't have to be a specific quote attributed to anybody. Yeah. I think as it comes to work, um, really what I've coming to work at great little boss, you know, our, um, Bob, our founder just focused so much on culture and, and the people aspect of it. And it's, it's not just words, you know, you have to live it and feel it and the, the employees have to feel it, uh, that it's, that it's real and true and not just, not just a, a slogan or a tagline. And it's just so much more enjoyable when you come to work and, and people are happy and, and having fun at what they're doing. Awesome. And then favorite restaurant. I don't know if you visit too much of your, your customers on Vancouver Island, but anything stick out there? Yeah, no, one of my favorites in, in Victoria. I love uh, stopping by El Terrazzo. Uh, it's a neat little place. Um, but with, with the COVID travel restrictions, we, we haven't been traveling much to the branches. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting over to Victoria uh, later this month uh, for the first time in a long time. So I'll have to check out a new one at that point. Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. Sponsored by Coastal Community Credit Union. Who's helping you take care of your financial health? Visit cccu.ca for more information.